Welcome to Supercharge My Practice, a podcast dedicated to helping you build a thriving and fulfilling natural therapies business. Each week, your host, Anil Mustafa, interviews leading practitioners and field experts, sharing proven tactics, inspiring stories, and actionable steps that will help you unlock your potential. Supercharge My Practice is proudly brought to you by My Appointments Practice Management System. and welcome to Supercharge My Practice. Today's guest is Tim Frey, who is a dynamic entrepreneur with a flair for innovation and a drive to make a difference in the business world. He's built multiple six and seven bigger businesses, including Helix Gym, a premium training facility in Perth, Australia at the age of 23. And alongside his wife, Steph Gordon, Tim owns co-owns Success School, a leading coaching program tailored for service-based businesses. Armed with a master's degree in exercise science, a bachelor's degree in sports science, and a master NLP certification, Tim is not only well-educated, but also a forward-thinking maverick in his field. Tim, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on the podcast. That was a hell of an intro. I am super nervous that I need to meet that standard of just the intro <laughs> there. So thanks for preparing that. That was uh, That was incredible. I'm sure you will have absolutely no problem meeting the mark, Tim. You are an absolute wealth of knowledge. Now, I just want to pre-frame this for my listeners. Tim is actually one of my business coaches. So I'm a member of Success School and I joined about November, I think it was last year. And it's been a massive, massive game changer for me. Now, I've been in business for 23 years, so I've got a lot of experience, but I was moving to a slightly different field of being more online. And I noticed that I had some really big blocks. And I think that's the thing that I've learned the most from you and Steph is simplifying shit and stop worrying about what everyone else is thinking. And I think there's so many valuable, simple, simple, simple lessons that you teach and Steph as well that make such a massive impact, even for people like me who have been in business for over two decades. So it's been such a pleasure being in Success School and I'm really looking forward to getting some insights from you to share with my listeners as well. So I want to start by asking you, what do you see are the three biggest challenges that business owners face? Yeah, I'll definitely get into that question. Just before we get uh, like too deep into this, I want to preface that I'm a very simple man. So I will take complex topics in business, in entrepreneurship, in fitness or whatever it is, and I'll make them very simple. And if it sounds too simple to be true, it's probably because it is. Okay. So let's hit me with that first question again, and then I can answer this probably. And I'll just pre-frame your pre-frame and say that this is what makes you a genius, Tim, is that you yeah. make things simple. Everybody, most of us, me included, we overcomplicate stuff and it yeah. doesn't need to be that way. So I yeah. love simplicity. It's when I teach my webinars, it's everything is just break it down, make it simple, and that's how people learn and grow. So I appreciate that. So the question is, what do you see as the three biggest challenges that business owners face today? Yeah. So the first one I think is just competition. Just because we have a growing population, there's just generally more, well, you know, statistically speaking over the last 20 years, it's been a growing population maybe until recently, but I just think there's more competition than ever. And I think people don't want jobs as much as they used to. That means there's going to be more people getting out there. And what that means with more competition is there's going to be less demand because there's going to be more people that are obviously providing the service or product that you have. Therefore, you need to be better. You can't just have a business, a service, a product anymore and expect to make heaps of money. It actually has to be good. So I think the first thing is you need to be incredible and there's going to be heaps of competition. Okay. The second thing here, I think a lot of people have been struggling with the marketing piece. Okay. So marketing would be my second. And, you know, if we forget old school marketing, like door to door, um, you know, sending mass emails, um, networking, these types of things, the way marketing is going is obviously digital. And we talk about digital marketing here, but from a digital marketing perspective, the landscape has kind of changed for me um, in the last couple of years where you know, we have these big social media companies and they're great if you can use them well. And then people start getting into more paid advertising, which is one of my specialties. But these platforms and these companies are moving to more of a pay to play model. Okay. So you can't just uh, throw something up on Instagram anymore, get a hundred likes or 200 likes or 300 likes, and then you have inquiries from it. It's not that easy because the algorithms are uh, catered to promote things that people are paying for. So if you're in that pay to play model or you're happy to spend money on digital marketing, then you're going to do well, but you can't just throw money at the problem as well. Because like the first thing, you actually need to be skilled in digital marketing, which, you know, is what, what we're going through with you and Neil at the moment is like, you know, 
know, we're learning a lot of fundamentals of it. We're learning a lot of stuff that works. We're trying stuff. We're seeing what works. And this is a process that takes a few years. Okay, I'm not trying to dampen anyone's expectations of business or how it works here, but digital marketing is tough, especially in the the pay-to-play model. So I think we're moving more into a pay-to-play, but then in the pay-to-play, the AI algorithm is kind of taking over a little bit. So with targeting, as you've probably even seen, Anil, targeting and um, audience selection and you know where you show your ads, these types of things are becoming more and more about Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, just showing it to who they think should see this ad rather than you selecting who sees this ad, which means that your copy and creative need to be better and better. So I think if you could summarize both the two top two points that I make here is you just need to get better and have more skills because the competition is great. So if that's digital marketing, if that's in your actual product, I think like those are the two things. I'm just going to leave it at two for this first question because I could speak all day on this topic. Yep, excellent. Now, I want to go back to your own experiences because you started your own business when you were 23, obviously very young, obviously didn't have a lot of business experience, but you had quite a bit of experience in the personal training field. So I want to know if there's anything that you've done, and I I don't like to see anything we do in business as mistakes, but I'm going to frame it in that way. Is there anything that you would change? Is there anything that you would do differently today with the knowledge that you have uh, when starting your business back at the age of 23? Yeah, I think the... Biggest mistake I made was being too confident, but also that was my superpower. Mm. So, you know, it was the biggest mistake and it was a superpower. So I would go out there and I literally had on my website when I was 17, Perth's best personal trainer. I had zero experience. There is no way I could have been Perth's best personal trainer. I couldn't train. No one wanted to train with me, but I still had the goal or the ego to say I was Perth's best personal trainer. So I would go into a sales consultation and I would be like, man, I'm going to change your fucking life. Like you have no idea, but I had no idea how to do it. So it was like this kind of fake it till you make it or this just belief that I had internally that I was the best, even though I'd never proven it. Okay. Which was great, but also detrimental because- I found out very fast that I wasn't the expert. And when it comes and you and you just reach this, like in my head, I was like, the peak, I'm the best. I'm, I've got this. And then you you get off the cliff and you fall face first and you like meet reality. It's quite hard to pick yourself back up. So the thing I would have changed, and you know, and you've probably experienced this when I've said this on call and ill, but uh, you know, I'll tell people to say, like, I think you should work on your mindset. And most people look at me and they say, My mindset's great. And then the more and more I chip away at it with my coaching clients, I'm like, you got to work on your mindset. You've got limiting beliefs. You've got stuff that's going on in your head that's stopping you from getting results. The more and more they're like, okay, maybe he's got a point here. Okay, maybe I do need to work on my mindset. So my answer to this question is I wish I did more working on my mindset because Mm -hmm. I think that that is the biggest limiting belief or the blocker in business success is your mindset and the strength of your mindset. Because like essentially I just like to say we are basically chimps or like monkeys just running around and we're just putting our beliefs, actions, thoughts um, on every situation that we have due to what has happened to us in our past or our life. Okay. So if you've had uh, situations where uh, you've experienced tough times with money or you've had clients reject you, or you've had a lot of clients leave your business or you know, you've done marketing and it's not going well and you bring that mindset into your current reality of what you're doing in business, you're going to have a very hard time being successful. Okay. Because you're operating on like a previous version of yourself when you should be operating in the now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Long story short, work on your mindset because I think mindset is the number one thing that I wish I did when I was 23. And it probably took me till 27, 28, 29 to really, well, not understand it, but get a better grasp on mindset. Yeah. And no, you don't realize that stuff. Like for me, again, yeah. being in business for over two decades, and we were on a way to your Bali retreat recently. Yeah. And there was something that I realized in myself, which really shocked me. And that was that I had a fear of success. Now I've got no idea mm. where that comes from because I'm quite confident when it comes to business. I have my blocks. I have my things that I'm not confident with. One of them is being on social media, having to put photos out there and be public. I don't like that kind of stuff. Uh, mm. One of the other things is, you know, bothering people, you know, when you post content, which is we're going to come to shortly because one of the questions, bothering people with my content. And it wasn't until you and Steph had said to me, are you providing value are you giving people something that they're going to learn from? If the answer is yes, how are you bothering people? And yeah. those are the things that I found for me were big blocks despite my confidence. But it just took someone to say the most simplest of things to me to take me from here to the next level, you know, and, and I think that's absolutely exceptional. But you don't know. You don't know this stuff until you experience it yourself. 100%. So when you came into the program, Steph was telling me about you and I was like, oh, Something's happened to her in the past where she's had like a bad uh, reaction or she's had bad comments or feedback on something she's done in public. And then you would project that in what you're doing day to day and you would have this fear in your head that's telling you, 
I shouldn't do social media because it's shit or whatever, like the, whatever that would manifest as, or would come out in your day-to-day life, which like, I hadn't met you before and Steph told me that. And I was like, cool, we're going to work on this. Yeah. (laughs) And again, until you get there, until you have to do it, you're like, you don't know this stuff exists. So uh, I think mindset is absolutely critical to work on and the money blocks and everything around that, because you can be Mm. really successful. Uh, I think I actually saw someone posting in success school the other day, talking about how they don't have a problem making money. And they make a lot of money, they have a problem keeping money and they don't know where that comes from. And I think that's quite an incredible thing for somebody who's new in business, especially, but even for Mm. myself who's been in business for a while, to think that someone can easily make money, but they've got money blocks still Mm. and they don't know how to keep it. So I think those things are absolutely fascinating to learn that. There's so much to unpack with that one, uh, which is hilarious, but Generally, it would be a lack of worthiness around having or keeping money from what I've seen with hundreds of clients that I've worked with. That's why they keep giving it away. They don't feel worthy to hold it because that would mean that they are X and they don't feel like X, uh, which is a dangerous spot to get into in entrepreneurship when you're just making heaps of money and giving heaps out. It's great. uh, And maybe your revenue looks great, but your profit doesn't, which you know maybe is a question that we can get to later. Yeah. And then on the flip side, you've got people like myself, which is what I was kind of feeling like you're um, you're worried about being successful so it, because it came too easy to me. I was working on something and it came too easy. And I'm like, yeah. it can't be this easy. I must yeah. be doing something wrong. And then you start self-sabotaging, you start procrastinating, you start doing all these things to block yourself from being successful because you you found it too easy, which, which sounds so insane. Do you know what I mean? Like to me, that's yeah. where's the logic but, in that? And Neil, you are a successful person because what have you been through in life? So your current success right now probably feels easy compared to what you've been through. Mm, okay. So true. like yeah. you've had a, I'm guessing you've had a hard life in certain areas and it's galvanized you and you've got a really thick skin and, and like shit was hard for you growing up, I'm imagining. So this business thing seems super easy compared to that. Like I just got to show up and, and provide value online and, and treat my clients well and teach them stuff. Fuck, I can do that. Like that's super easy compared <laughs> to like all the bullshit you've been through. Yeah, well, especially with having a gym and all the staff and yeah, all that yeah. stuff. It's a whole other level compared to where I'm at now with my business. All right, so I want to talk about email marketing because I know that is mm. your jam and you've said this before that if you had to choose one single way to grow your business, it would be email marketing. Would that mm-hmm. still be the case right now? 100%. If not, if I had an email list, okay, so that's a caveat to it. So if I didn't have an email list and I was sending out emails to four people, then I wouldn't be very successful with email marketing. So you have to have a list. But if I had a list and you know everything was uh, fair and even and and there was that was the only thing I had to choose from was what I would pick as my number one, it definitely would be email marketing as number one. Closely followed by ads, but I think you can have a bigger impact with email marketing just over the longer term. Mm. A lot of people believe email marketing is dead. What do you say yeah. to that? Yeah, so it's fascinating. A couple of points on this is, you know, like Meta, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, you know, like COVID happens again. Like how are you going to reach people? So let's say Meta uh, deletes your Instagram account. How are you going to contact people if that's your number one platform? So the email list is the only thing you can truly own in the digital space, in my opinion. Okay, so um, that's the number one thing that I think people need to understand is like the email list is yours forever. Okay. They can unsubscribe, but you can really add them. I'm not going to talk about ethics of that, but you're going to have these people forever on your email list. Okay. If you want them to be, that's the number one reason I think it is the best. Then in terms of open rates, let's say, you know, the average email sender can get anywhere from 30 to 60%. So if we have a list of a thousand, we're getting 300 to 600 that are going to be opening the email. Okay. Which is a lot of people. If we look at, if you have a thousand followers on Instagram and only 5% of them see your posts, that's 50 people. Okay. So, how many people do you want to see your stuff? 50 or 300 or 600? Okay. So there's a huge discrepancy with that. Also with email, you got to imagine the, the buyer or the type of person that opens emails. They're probably more willing to take action on that. Whereas they're on social media to be entertained. So they're in email to be in a uh, position where they could be taking action on your offer rather than just seeing it, just scroll through the feed on social media and just blending in. Okay. When you think about even yourself and if you're opening your emails, it's intentional. Okay. So you're opening your emails for a reason. Um, versus the other social media is this whole entertainment thing, which is what it was built to be. But it's just, I feel like it's transitioned to social media is basically everyone's just trying to sell shit now. What happened to the days when we were posting our food? And what (laughs) happened to the days when we were just like, here's my kid, how cool is this? I'm going to Dreamworld. But now it's like, uh, even I do this as well. I'm going to Dreamworld and here's what I learned about business. You know, top three things that Dreamworld did well about business. 
Whereas, yeah, emails, is, it can be very intentional for me. So email marketing, number one, open rates are great. And people are generally in a better mindset to take action on what you're doing. And I think growing an email list over, you know, one, two, three, five, ten 10 years is going to be great for your business. Even if you add 100 a month or 200 a month or 500 a month, it's going to be a huge gain over the next couple of years. And what, what do you think is a good or a minimum number in an email subscriber list to make it worthwhile for someone to focus their energy on that versus, say, meta ads? 500 to 1,000 yeah. is a good start, which I don't think is super hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying I do this, but people have bought email lists before for you know a couple thousand people, a couple thousand contacts. Not saying I'd recommend that to you, but you know that could be a way that you could look into getting started. Um, you could get email lists a bunch of other ways, but you know these are all frowned upon marketing tactics, black hat, that people have used, not that I've used, but it has been used previously. Depends on the niche as well. Um, so there are a lot of people that... You could post from their email list or they'll give you their email list or you could do some kind of collab with them to post on their email list and get their subscriber base onto your email list. Mm, Okay. And what are the three common mistakes you see people make with email marketing? Yeah, this is hilarious. I did a post on this this morning on my Instagram. Um, It got crickets, but honestly, it was one of the... One of the biggest amounts of time I've put into creating an Instagram post, it took me like an hour and 20 minutes to write this thing um, just for a single post on Instagram. My theory was the more value and the higher quality that I produce on Instagram, the more I'm going to be proud of it, therefore share it, keep it on there, et cetera. Anyway, top three mistakes is people uh, make the emails too long and they have too much generic information in there. So let's say that it got written by ChatGPT and it's like, to whom may concern? And they use all these weird words and the spelling is wrong and it just sounds like a robot, okay? So it's, it's very generic. Then they'll put in like heaps of images. They'll put in images that it, it basically just goes away from actually being an email that has a point to this huge long email, um, heaps of images, very confusing. What am I even reading? Does this make any sense? And then someone just thinks that this is very generic. Okay. There is a way to do this on the flip side of that is where you can write an email like it's going to be a Gmail. Okay. So if I'm writing to you as a friend, Anil, and I'm saying, hey, Neil, how's it going? Here's what I'm up to. Here's what I learned today. Call to action on um, essentially like, Click on this link to get X, okay? So you can see like the two different types, like which one would you rather receive, Anil, from me? Like the super generic chat GBT thing or the, where I'm uh, messaging you and like well, I'm emailing you as a friend from like a Gmail pen pal point of view. Yeah, absolutely. That's It's the simplicity. Every single email I send out now to my database through my own business is all simple text. There's no graphics, no, no flashy buttons. It's all very, very basic because like you said, when people are receiving communication from you, you want them to make them feel like they're receiving it from a friend, not some from some company who's trying to sell them something. Yeah. And then number two, I think subject lines are something that a lot of people do wrong. So subject lines, they could be, you know, this huge sentence like, here's what I did today and I had for breakfast. Um, like something like that versus a cur- that was a bad example, but a curiosity-based headline, like save 98.2%. And so if I sent you an email, I said save 98.2% versus um, here's what I'm doing in my course. Which one are you more likely to click on? Yeah, okay. So there, there needs to be a curiosity component. So if you think, you know, my wife, Steph, she has like 14,000 unread emails in her inbox. For you to penetrate that wall of emails, it's going to have to be pretty incredible in terms of a subject line. A lot of other people are the same. They're going to be getting a ton of emails. So how do you cut through the noise on that? So subject line needs to be banger and it has to... Uh, create curiosity in their mind for want them to uh, to sell them into opening the email. And then every line of the email needs to sell the next line. So if you think about it, when I'm writing an email sequence, so my process for this is uh, I'll write like a hooky intro line to get them interested. Then I'll write the next line, which gives them a little bit of information about what I'm doing. And then each line after that, I'm selling the next line to entice the readership then the call to action has to be related to the thing. And it also has to drive curiosity. Okay. So here's how the, so the call to action on this save 98.2% will be like, um, uh, click below. If you want to get one of eight spots on this to get 98.2% discount in the next seven days. Okay. So in that call to action, it's, Save the money, 98.2%. That's a really random number also, by the way. And then uh, there's the scarcity of the eight people. And then it's related to the offer. Okay. So all these things, scarcity, curiosity, all these things drive click-through rate on an email. Okay. So that's the second one. So first one is really general. And then second one is the subject line. Third one here, and it kind of ties into the first point. I think people can get very lazy with email writing and they'll just outsource it to chat GPT where... 
you know, if someone reads a chat GBT style email, they're initially and immediately going to be turned off and it's going to create a bad taste in their mouth. You can use chat GPT or AI or any of these copywriting tools as an assistant. But if you're just copy pasting, publishing, sending, someone reads that, receives that, your brand in their eyes is going to be maybe not as valuable as it was before. This isn't going to be like a consciously, oh, Tim sucks, successful sucks, his gym sucks, Anil sucks. It's going to be something that flicks in their subconscious mind where they just will associate your brand with being a little bit cheaper, okay, a little bit um, disingenuous or a little bit dishonest or something like that, okay? So um, poorly formatted picture stuff, uh, subject lines that aren't good, and then AI written. They're my three where they go wrong. How do you get your content to be so good? I know know you've done a lot of courses, but I have to say (laughs) out of every email that ever comes into my inbox, if it comes from Tim or Steph, it's read 100% of the time. Why? Because I love your copy. And the main reason I love it is because it is so bloody simple. But it's mm. it's also quite impactful. You know, like there was one email that I don't know if you wrote it or Steph wrote it, but I've actually printed it up and it's sitting right next to me on my wall and it's yeah. when doubt creeps in. And so Steph's talking about what's happened to her and her past, you know, in, in her business experiences and when doubt creeps in, what she does. Mm-hmm. And they're just the emails that I'm getting, they're, they're sales emails that you're sending to your database who aren't actually uh, members, but I'm assuming everybody yeah. gets them because I get them as well. Yeah, they're just so incredibly impactful, and it's the simplicity of it that I absolutely love. But everything I read, it makes me go, "Oh, I want to find out more." Obviously, I don't need to because I'm already a member. But it's I love reading it because I really learn a lot from it. So I know you've kind of you know said the next line is going to hook onto the next line, the next line, which is great advice. But in practicality, where do you think people struggle so much with writing copy, and what kind of advice do you have? for somebody who is in that space where they want to be able to write content the way you do, but they're really struggling to, to put their words together in such a succinct way for their readers. Yeah. Just before I, I dive deep into the, how I do this, you know, uh, every famous novelist or writer, they do say they have something called writer's block where they just can't get it out. Okay. And it's like the blinking cursor on the page. I get that too, but when I'm hot, I'm hot and I write a lot. So I'll have these moments maybe twice a week where I'm like, and I'm feeling it and shit's coming out of my fingers that I'm like, this is bomb.com. Mm. So that's when I write tons. So on the plane back from Sydney yesterday, uh, I wrote nine emails and eight social media posts, okay, and a five-hour trip. So, you know, if you put that into, it's probably took me about 30 minutes per piece of content, which was great. And I was like, cool, I'm just on the plane. I can't do anything else. I'm just going to write. So I was drinking uh, coffee. So I was drinking Coke. So I was drinking anything just to like keep me in that mood of just writing. Okay. So there has to be a time and a place and you have to be undistracted. And and for me, that's like on a plane or we're driving somewhere or whatever. We're going caravan and I literally can't do anything else. So that's when I write. And that's my most creative time. How I frame this up is I have a theme. So if I'm writing an email, I'll have a theme and then I'll be like, what do I want the reader to get from this? So I have the theme of the email and then I'll have the the learning or the teaching, okay? So in any good story, like I said before, it, it has a hook. Um, it has like a little bit of body or a segue and, and a call to action. So I, I usually would write like hook on the page. I'll write like body or story or what I want it to be about. And then I'll have um, the segue into the call to action. So these are usually like one sentence or two or a couple of words or whatever it is. And at the, that point, I've got a theme. I've got what I want them to get. I've got the hook. I've got the body and I've got the section. And it's almost like a fill in the blank type, type mm-hmm. deal. So I'll get it out, all that, and I'll just start filling shit in. And I'll just have this like page of notes and stuff. Okay. So I say notes and stuff here. So there'll be stuff that's out of order, stuff that doesn't make sense. I'm just writing anything that's coming out of my brain at the moment that I think makes sense. Then I'll leave it for a minute. I'll go back and read it from the top. So I'll read it from the top. I'll change the first sentence. I'll go to the next sentence. Once I'm happy with that, I'll change it. I'll make edits. I'll do what I got to do. And I just keep doing that process over and over and over. And I read it through and I say, how can I put in, I've actually never articulated this, but it's cool to like think about this process for myself. How can I make this sentence more appealing to the reader? Okay. So it's very thoughtful. I'm not just putting it out there and just, you know, hit and send. I'm saying, how can I make this sentence better? How can I put in more emotive writing? How can I put in more descriptive stuff? How can I put in more personal stories? How can I relate this to the reader? And these are all things I'm thinking about every step when I'm writing an email or a post. So, you know, if you, if you guys end up following me on Instagram or Anil follows me, Everything I put out, you think about the effort that has gone into that, It's it probably takes me half an hour to an hour and a half to write a single story on social media or something that you guys see. Uh, because I'm more of a, 
Like I would prefer quality online rather than quantity. Okay. And that's changed for me recently, but I'd like someone, I don't have a huge following like 7k, which is good, but it's not like a massive, like hundred, 200,000. I don't do social media or emails because I want to get famous. I do it for me because I want to improve my craft as a writer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my social media or my emails or whatever, yes, they do make us money and successful, but for me, it's more like a cathartic way of releasing and expressing myself from a writing point of view. Mm. So to the next step on that, if you're thinking that sounds way too hard for me, I grew up in a German family. I couldn't speak English or read and write until I was six. So I missed those crucial years when everyone else learned grammar, English, spelling, all those types of things. And I learned them when I was an adult. Okay. So um, in school, in primary school, they wanted to hold me back years uh, because I was so bad at English, spelling, grammar, creating stories, all these types of things. I learned this when I went to university. I did an undergrad in sports science. I had to write an essay. I didn't even know what the fucking essay was. I don't know what is an essay. I don't know how to structure it. I don't know anything about English. This is before chat GBT. This is before the internet could help you with anything related to writing. And it was me just hitting stuff and, and slowly getting better. So I did a bunch of copywriting courses. Um, you know, I started reading, I was doing stories, I was doing story writing courses, basically just sponging anything I could about reading and writing. And then I would just start to relate it to my personal stories and things that have happened to me and anecdotes around it. So long story short, practice, it's not too late. You can learn these things. I think being a good writer or being able to articulate yourself uh, in text is a great skill to have for anyone in business. Mm, absolutely. And I hope that was valuable. I don't even know what I said there. No, no, that was fantastic. Um, it's actually interesting because when we were in Bali, we were uh, critiquing each other's landing pages and yeah. I'll look at my landing page and go, oh, I don't know if this is any good. And then you'll critique and you'll go, you think you know the framework, right? And I could teach yeah. that framework quite well. But yeah. when it comes to doing it myself, it's not the same. Yeah. And so then there's somebody sitting next to me and I'm helping her with her landing page and I'm sitting there going, why is it so easy for me to help someone else and tell them what to do, but it's not so easy for me to do it? So mm. as someone who's got so much experience and, you know, writing is one of your crafts when it comes to copy, especially for marketing, do you ever get those blocks yourself? Do you ever feel like, oh, this is not good enough? Or do you get to that point where you're like, nah, i got this, I'm going to nail it? Yeah, for sure. I definitely get to those points. Sometimes I'm better at writing stories that are good than landing pages and copy that are good uh, because I have the same thing as you. I feel like I'm sometimes like that horse with the two things on the side of the head where they can only see directly in front of them and I can only read certain parts of the copy and it makes sense. So what I do for that is when I'm writing a landing page or copy or emails or something that's related to business that's not just my personal social media, I'll usually leave it for a day and come back. Mm. so i'll write a bunch i'll come back i'll read it and i'll be like cool does this make sense then i'll put myself so i'm trying to market to you and neil i'll put myself in your shoes so i'm like cool i'm a i'm gonna say 28 year old amazing looking from melbourne i'll take Um, it (laughs) you know like your problems in business maybe like lead generation scaling these types of things like what is she thinking is this going to make sense for her does she understand the what how the who like does she understand all these things that I'm just assuming that you're understanding, okay? As a copywriter or a professional, I call it the the curse of the knowledgeable, that uh, you just assume that your prospect or your target market or your ideal client knows exactly what you're thinking when you just need to be as descriptive as possible and almost just treat them like a six-year-old, that they know nothing about what you're trying to sell. And that's when you write really good copy and, and sales pages. Mm. And there was a saying that we um, we heard in Bali as well. I can't remember who who said it. It was something like the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And oh, I think yeah, that's when sure. it comes to your own stuff is when you you know it, you know how to do it, you know what the you know what the structure is, you know what you want to do, but then when it comes to actually doing it, then it's almost like you feel like now I don't actually know enough. So I think that's quite common in our industry as well. All right, so I want to ask you to share your thoughts on selling by conversation and chat GBT, not chat, uh, chat selling by chat. Yeah. This is something that, again, another cool little tactic that I learned from you guys and something we focused on in Bali. A lot of people have this mentality that they're going to put a post on Facebook or Instagram or wherever, and it's going to be an ad that says, I'm a my therapist or I'm an acupuncturist and I can help with neck pain. And they think people are just automatically going to come and flood them. So it's like that, you know, that they're trying to propose marriage on the first date and they're not understanding that they need to get people to build that no like and trust factor before they're going to want to take that step to, to, to marry them as such. And I really found it quite interesting to talk about the sell by conversation because, I mean, 
it's it's such it's so simple, but it's so genius as well. And so one of the things that you had recommended, which I think is absolute gold, is that anyone that starts following you on Instagram, just shoot them a message and just say, hey, I'd love to know how you heard about me. And that's actually how I joined Success School, by the way. I was mm. starting, a lot of people are recommending Steph as a, as a business coach. Yeah. And um, I'm like, mm, not sure, not sure, not sure. Then I started listening to her podcast and I thought, I love this woman. I love her energy. Yeah, she's got good energy. Started, started following her on Instagram and then she messaged me. And it was like mm. this, oh, my God, she's messaging me, you know. It's yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't have that whole celebrity thing or, you know, someone's got lots of followers. I don't have any of that kind of stuff where I get excited by that. But it was like this person has taken the time to message me personally and ask me about me. Now, evidently, it was just her VA that was doing it. That's not the point. The point was it sounded like it was Steph. And yeah. it built the know, like, and trust factor. She started asking me some questions. And then uh, we jumped on a call together, and that's how I joined Success School. So I'd love for you to tell my listeners why you think the conversational selling is so important and, and why you think it's a good idea to use it as a means to grow your business. Yeah. So let's give this some context here before we get into it. If you're watching, then you're going to see my hands right now. If you're not watching, imagine I'm holding uh, my hands up and then on the right side, I've got a 10 out of 10. On the left side, I've got a zero out of 10. And then there's 10 spots here. So we go one, two, three, all the way up to 10. On the right side, where we're at a 10 out of 10, we'll call that no like and trust. Okay. And that's when someone is ready to take action on your thing. And the other side is zero. So anyone, a prospect, ideal client, et cetera, is going to be somewhere on that scale at any time before they want to do business with you, okay? And how you transition someone up that scale is with content, is with reach outs, is with emails, is with podcasts, is with ads, is with basically just creating a lot of know, like, and trust, okay? What happens is most people that are in your orbit right now, and Neil or anyone listening, they're going to be somewhere between like a two or a three, okay? So if you put up an offer, and they're at a two out of three out of 10 in terms of no like and trust on you. They're not going to go to your landing page, read through, and then pay two, three, four thousand or sign up for a consultation. Okay. Cause they, you just haven't bridged the trust factor yet. Okay. And where it goes, that can work. If you put up an offer and you have like 10 out of 10 trust and someone's been following you for years or they've heard about you or they've had referrals, they're going to dive in and they're going to buy or they're going to book in for a consultation. Or they're going to do whatever it is. But a really fast way to transition that is with a chat conversation. So like you said, you were in a chat conversation with Steph. It could have been Steph at the time. I'm sure it was a while ago. But, um, you, you know, Steph's hearing about your problems. She's hearing about um, what you're struggling with. She's providing solutions. She's providing value. She might have even sent you a PDF. Maybe there were some voice drops. But this is going to bring someone up the scale very fast, okay? Because it, it seems personal, okay? It is personal. And it just separates you, whoever's listening to this podcast right now, from everyone else. So no one is really going to, you know, your competition, if you think about your competition right now, they're not going to go out and spend time or hire someone to have chat conversations. And that immediately puts you to the top of the pile. So if you've got two business coaches that you're going to work with, one's messaging you and sending you voice messages and, and value, and the other one's just putting up landing pages, who do you think is going to win mm. the war on who is going to get the client? So it just seems more personal. So- Chat has been a game changer for us. It is our uh, number one way that we book calls in our program is, is chat um, because it really transverses that no like and trust factor. And that's what separates us, especially in a competitive market. Like, And then Steph, uh, my wife, has this like, you know, quote unquote celebrity factor. So then they're getting a message from this, you know, person that they look up to, like she's she's well off, she's smart, she's successful, and then she's talking to me. It's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like the grand slam of of trust, okay? And then they get on a call, and then they talk about the problems they went through, and then you can close like a ten thousand dollar deal, which is incredible for a chat conversation to a call, okay? If you think about that from like a business point of view, if you just had a chats and calls and you're closing ten thousand dollar deals, you're doing pretty fucking well, okay? And it can be that simple, so. I hope that answered your question. I forgot what the question was, but uh, yeah, because I went into a lot selling. of context there. Yeah. <laughs> so conversation, conversational selling is a game changer. If I was to get started with this, I would just be sending every single person that follows you on, on social media a message um, and just a, a general like hello message, not something too intense. So, hey, how'd you get to follow me? Or, hey, what are your goals? Or, hey, like, thanks for the follow. How are you? Something like that. And just started chat with them. I think where this goes wrong is people, uh, they will transition to, uh, hey, Anil, uh, sign up to my shit. Um, here's the link. Uh, and that's way too hectic. Okay. So you want to treat this like it's a friend. You probably wouldn't send that to a friend. Okay. So just rule number one here is just treat this thing like a friend. Okay. And be very chill, but be very thorough, caring, considerate, 
um, and then listening to their problems as well. I'm sure you've probably seen this, Anil, but where this goes wrong is, is uh, it's say you give me your problems and I say, cool, here's a solution, okay? So if you give me your problems, I'll be like, yeah, cool, I really understand that lead flow might be an issue for you or scaling or like, you know, that's very common for people in your industry versus, yeah, cool, now buy my shit, okay? So there needs to be a little bit of a, a back and forth with understanding their problems, et cetera. Basically, just, just treat this as human contact and human uh, interaction that's not super weird. And, and getting to know them rather than trying mm. to give them all the advice. Because I think that's the third way people go wrong with this is that yeah. what's, uh, you know, what, what's going on, what's happening for you. And then that person will say, well, I've got, you know, menopause. And then you go straight into this is what you should do when it should be about what have you tried, getting to know them where they've been on their journey and not providing them with all the answers, but giving them enough context to understand that you know what you're talking about and that you can help them. Mm. And then asking them to book a discovery call or something like that from that that conversation rather than try, just trying to give them everything because that's also quite overwhelming for that person on that other end that they've just started following you and suddenly you're throwing all this information at them. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'll give the a coffee shop example. So I go down to my local coffee shop every morning and I have a coffee and I, there's a there's an older guy there in his, in his 70s and uh, he sits by himself and I always make a, a, a point to talk to him because I'm like, cool, he, he probably needs someone to talk to. Uh, so I say, hey, how are you? And then he goes, and just like uh, voice dumps on me. He just tells me his life story every single day. And the point I'm trying to get at is here is people like talking about themselves. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you give someone an opportunity to talk about themselves, you're going to build rapport quickly because they're going to think, well, they're going to know. And it, it basically is going to be true that you are listening to them. Okay. And people want to be heard. Okay. Every single person in this world wants to be heard. Okay, so if you can give them a platform to be heard, you're going to be a fast report and know, like, and trust with someone. Mm, yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk about Facebook ads. I know this is another one of your very uh, big skill sets, and a lot of people believe that Facebook ads don't work, and I've seen it, mm. obviously, the complete opposite. I think they work exceptionally well when done properly. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, why do you think your Facebook ads work so well? And why would do you think would a natural therapist who's running Facebook ads and not getting the traffic, why do you think it is that they think that it's not going to work for them? Yeah, so I'm going to say that Facebook ads don't work and don't take this the wrong way, but Facebook ads don't work if you don't know what you're doing. Okay. So like anything, email marketing, social media posting, uh, becoming a natural therapist, becoming a Maya, becoming a Cairo. If you don't know what you're doing in those things, you're going to have a bad time. Okay. It's not something like you're not going to go and adjust someone's neck if you've got two months experience. Okay. You're not going to go crack their neck. Same thing with Facebook ads. People just think they're going to throw up an ad and they're going to get clients. Okay. There's a skill to this and it takes lots of time. Why I think our Facebook ads works because I've spent so much time, energy and money and effort learning it. Okay. That's why it works because I've tested a lot of stuff. Okay. And I'm lucky you guys are on the podcast. I'm going to give you the hacks and the the easy takeaways to this. So um, I'm assuming most of your listenership will be operating in one local area. Yeah. Typically or online. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what you can do is, you know, we'll talk about local targeting here, but if you're in a local area and you're like the Cairo of this area, okay, you can make a promotional video. And you could say like, hey, my name's Tim. Um, I'm the local Cairo. Here's what I treat. You know, and then you could uh, go to a like a testimonial type video uh, of one of your patients saying, yeah, Tim helped me so much. He sorted out my neck pain, which I had for 14 years. He's amazing. And then you could flip to another one. And like this whole production I'm talking about here could be shot on an iPhone. So this could be minutes on an iPhone slapped together on CapCut or some kind of app. And then what you can do once you have this video, so that video is establishing no like a trust, um, then you can just run it as a video views ad in a local area. You can put the radius on typically how far people come to see you. Let's say it's 10Ks or 15Ks or something like that. And then you can get one cent video views, okay? So if you're getting someone in your local area to see your stuff for one cent, and let's say they watch 50 or 75% of that video, I'm going to say they're pretty warm to the prospect of eventually seeing you when they have a problem, okay? Mm-hmm. And the key word is when they have a problem. People don't seek out things unless they have a problem. So you're creating this whole bunch of awareness. And then at some point, you're going to cash in on that awareness when the problem presents. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go see a chiropractor when my neck's all fucked up. Okay. Or I'm going to go see a myotherapist when I've got an injury or whatever it is. It's, they do work, but they have to be consistently done. And this is where it goes wrong, especially with these businesses that are based around problems. So that's the first step. If we get a little video out, explain what we do, et cetera, et cetera, pop it out, $5 a day we can do on that. We're going to see a couple hundred people every day are going to see our name in the local area, which is great. That's great brand awareness. That is not the key in Facebook ads. Then 
Second step on this, I'm going to make this really simple is, you know, let's say for a chiropractor example, uh, I'm going to only target people that have seen the offer. So you can set up something in the ads that says anyone that's watched this video for 25%, I'm going to show them this offer. Okay. And the offer really needs to be a simple next step. Okay. So at any time in a, like a buyer's journey or the journey of, um, you know, a prospect, only two to 3% will be ready to take action at that time. So you're really thinking about developing a really big audience of people that have seen this video and then two to 3% of them, if the offer is good, will take you up on that. So let's say the offer is a free health assessment for a chiropractor and you make it really uh, super specific that it's valued at $99 and they get it for free. We all know that this could just be something that you give out for free anyway, but it's valued at $99. So the prospect automatically has this no like a trust. I've seen Tim, he's an amazing chiropractor in the local area. Now he's giving out free uh, consultations. That's epic. I'm going to go book in with Tim and see what it's about, okay? Because I have a neck pain. And then you've taken someone from off the street to you know working with you. And that's a really crude example. I could probably give you guys better examples here, but this is just off the top of my head. I didn't pre prepare for that at all. From someone that's seen your stuff to coming into your clinic and, and you've built more no like and trust in person. The in-person stuff is where you build that massive no like and trust. Okay. So if I'm with you in person and, you know, we were together in Bali, but, you know, like we were cool online and, you know, but, you know, when we met in person, it was like, you know, Tim's cool. Like he's my guy. Like I get it. He swears. He took shit. Like we we do this fun stuff, and then you get to that next level. The same thing happens in in person. I know some of you guys work online. You know, you can create the same, but the in person guys, this is where it works really well. Is you have that strong no like and trust. So, um, first step, video. Second step, make them an offer. Could be a free health assessment, whatever it is. Um, and then you just want to have a bunch of different creatives. So Facebook ads. You know, the the copy and the creative are the main thing. Um, you know, the algorithm is just going to find the right people eventually. So if we talk about, I'm not going to go specific into the details of this, but you can just target cold and just let Facebook find the right people, um, which works. And then the second option is you can target people that have already seen your stuff. The algorithm is going to cater the type of image that you put to the person. Okay. So the AI that it has. So let's say, Anil, you like um, red colors and you like uh, seeing specific things. You like a guy in a doctor's coat or whatever, uh, judging by the... Uh, buying behavior or the scrolling behavior that you have on social media, Facebook or Meta or Instagram or TikTok is going to show you that, okay? Because the AI wants you to convert on this thing. So what you need to do is you need to have variations of uh, uh, creative and copy. So creative, you could have two, three, four, five different videos of that one offer. Um, and then Facebook is just going to give the consumer the best video or the best image related to uh, the offer that you're presenting. Mm, that's really interesting. That kind of filled a bit of a gap for me because I've always kind of always under the belief and things that I've read and learned from, you know, some marketing gurus is that you should only test two creatives at once or two ads at once. So that's one single thing that's different between the two. And then yeah. once you've got your winner, then you go to the next one. But when we did your Facebook uh, um, course recently, your three-day PhD course on Facebook ads, you had button like, yeah, like at least 10 creatives running at the same time. You're running them all uh, to see the difference between them all. But yeah. I, I think there's probably no harm in doing that because you are actually seeing all of them running at once and you can immediately start seeing which ones are performing well and which ones aren't and then switching off those that aren't and then being left with the winner. So it's the same concept. You're just doing it a lot faster. Yeah, so Facebook and Instagram ads has gotten so much easier over the years because, you know, if you think about these big multi, multi-billion dollar companies, they want you to win because they want you to spend more money. So they're investing heavily in making their AI so good that basically you can just throw up some shit and it gets you a result. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I say that so flippantly because that's how easy this is getting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my mentor is a, a Facebook ads guru and he spends like a million dollars a month. on ads. So I've learned off him. And then there's this thing called uh, dynamic creative now on there, which is a really technical term, but basically you just upload 10 creatives and then it just goes and finds someone that's interested in the, that type of creative. It does basically everything for you. Okay. You don't even have to test. You just put in money and it gives you clients back and it optimizes everything due to their, uh, what they're into, their buying behavior, et cetera. Okay. So these things are getting so stupidly easy now that I think in the next couple of years, it's basically, you're going to say, I want clients. And then it just comes up with an entire marketing campaign for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where it's going. That's pretty cool. Interestingly enough, I was trying to set up my Facebook ads um, just in the last couple of days. And mm. one of the options that came to me was let Facebook decide who your audience is. And yeah. it's shown that it's 33% 
more likely to get you to connect to your ideal client than it is if you went to that effort of going in and trying to create your own saved audience. So I found that quite fascinating as well. Yeah, so my lead cost, just for all the nerds here, has halved just by using their AI to find my clients. Wow. Versus me, which I think I'm an okay marketer or a decent marketer, trying to come up with all the specifics myself based on my research. I just let it do it and it comes 50% cheap. Mm. Now, in Success School, we're not allowed to use the O word, which is, I have to yeah. say, so my listeners know, which is overwhelmed. Um, and I have no doubt that people listening to this are hearing everything that you're saying. And it sounds quite simple to those of us that have a little bit of experience, but they're going to feel that O word and go, oh my God, this is just too hard. I need to outsource this. So, my mm. next question to you is around outsourcing because I know there's certain things that you guys will not outsource for, for Steph. Yeah. It's her social media, it's um, the copy and everything are related to her social media. That's something she does herself. And I know you also run all of your ads, Facebook ads. Do you think somebody is better off spending the time trying to understand and learn how to use Facebook ads or meta ads, we should say, or is this something you think that they should just outsource for the sake of saving their sanity? Because as a business owner, you know we're spread so thinly and when we're with patients, it's very difficult to have the time to be able to do everything. And I think, of course, we could talk about blocking time and all that sort of stuff. But do you think it's more important for someone to spend the time getting to learn it and running it themselves or just outsourcing it? And Neil, that's an incredible question. And my opinion on this may have changed or it might be contrary previously uh, to things I've said previously. So I think, you know, judging from all the things I'm hearing, allied health professionals, chiropractors, myos, et cetera, uh, that it would be great if you had an understanding of what's going on mm. on the back end rather than, you know, I'm going to put this crudely, getting bent over by an ads agency, okay, which commonly happens for service-based businesses yeah. because they have no idea of the data they're looking at, okay? So one of my good friends, he runs a, a car dealership and uh, spends – like 10 grand on the agency fees a month, 10 grand. Okay. Not saying it's going to be that expensive for you guys if you were to outsource this. And then they spend like five grand on ads or whatever. He sends me their report because to ship proof what they're doing. Okay. So he's he's like, oh, is this working? Is this doing well? And he sends me all the stats and data. I need to literally ship proof this for him. So he's not getting ripped off, but like he's working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. So for him to go and learn Facebook ads, is just not going to happen. So I'll happily do that for one of my friends. That's fine. But the point I'm trying to get at here is if you're this person that doesn't know what your marketing agency is doing or where the money's going or the, if the results are good or it's not converting, you're probably going to have a very hard time scaling and growing. Okay, And I, I think that everyone listening to this podcast, eventually, if it's three months, six months, two years, five years, 10 years, should have a grasp on marketing uh, and growing your business from a marketing perspective, from email marketing, social media, and ads. But it's going to take effort, but someone like you and Neil can definitely help them out with that. And that's where my suggestion would be. If you want quick results, go to someone that has a lot of experience, reps, and reviews specifically for your niche. Okay. So if it's chiropractic, go to a chiropractic ads uh, person or go to a Mayo ads person or whatever it is. You want to seek the specialist in that area, check their reviews, man. So if they say, I've worked with all these people, you need to contact all these people. Okay. And be like, cool, how was working with X? Because there is a lot of bullshit out there in digital marketing. So, and I would say at least 70, 75% of agencies are not very good. Mm. So you'll get one in four that are really good and they know what they're doing, which you need to find that one in four. Okay. Don't be taking some 18 year old off the street, no experience to 18 year olds that has done a, a two day Facebook ads course and is ready to, you know, take your practice to seven figures. You're going to have a bad time. Okay. You want someone with a lot of reps and experience in this and you need to work with referrals to get a really good digital marketer. Mm. Yeah, some great advice there. I want to talk about <laughs> systems now because this is yeah. another one of your expertise, areas of expertise. So this is something we did in Bali again. It was a, one of the last, I think it was the last day. And yeah. for me, that was the best day. Like, I mean, I enjoyed every day. But mm. for me, seeing how you had built out Helix Gym and the systems within Helix Gym were just absolutely genius. And we had a talk about this at dinner one night as well. You've had people come in and basically offer to buy your gym at ridiculous rates yeah. Costs, I should say. And I think the main reason why it's not just because you've got a good gym, it's because mm. of the systems you've built into your business that make your business very, very sellable. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about systems and what's important for you to have in your business for you to know what do you think is important to systemize and where does someone start when they're, with, they're still a small scale business? 
What do you think is important for them to systemize in their business? Yeah, so I'll just give this question a little bit of context. And this is not a toot my horn. This is just to show you what is possible with systemization. So I don't have to work. So I'm 33. I have two businesses now. I sold two last year, but I don't have to work. So like I can get up in the morning and do whatever the fuck I want. I tried that for six months. I got so bored. Okay. I was, it was almost like, what is the meaning of life if I don't have to work? Because I love working. And that's because of systemization. So um, I get to spend my days doing stuff like this, you know, working with you, doing this podcast, like, you know, doing fun shit and growing business, et cetera. But I, I would differentiate that between working on the business and in the business. Okay. So chiropractors working in the business or myotherapies, that's working in the business. Working on the business would be um, building systems, creating ads, um, like building out processes, all that type of stuff. That's growing and working on the business versus in the business. You want to systemize and process a lot of the stuff working in the business as much as possible so the whole thing runs without you. And that might sound like a pipe dream to you, but it is very possible once you understand the skill of how to do this, okay? Mm -hmm. So in Success School, um, Neil will know there's a difference between $50 an hour tasks and $5 an hour tasks, Okay. And $5 an hour tasks, I don't mean any disrespect to this or anyone that is doing $5 an hour tasks, but they are low value tasks for a reason because they can be done by anyone. What you need to do is you need to get those tasks done by someone with the appropriate pay rate. So if you're a chiropractor or a myo and you're answering stupid emails or you're answering or you're answering the phone or you're doing stuff that's not growing in your practice, that's the stuff you need to outsource and systemize immediately. Okay, because that's going to free you up to do the stuff that's actually going to grow your practice. Okay, so let's say that you hire someone to do that and you create the systems and processes, then you've you've gained back 15, 20 hours a week, then you can focus on learning email marketing and you can focus on learning ads or you can focus on um, networking with other people or you can focus on whatever, creating content, YouTube channels, those types of things. But the thing is where most people get stuck is they just get so stuck in the weeds of the doing. Okay, and you need to outsource the doing. Okay, and that's like with Success School and this is with my gym is I've outsourced the doing of the thing so I can go on holiday. I can take a day off. I can do whatever it is and the thing won't fall apart, okay? And that's that's why the gym is saleable and that's why, yeah, I don't think, yeah, it is saleable Success School, but um, buying a coaching business is not something that would happen. So like I had an investor fly over from the East Coast, so I'm in Perth and he offered me big money to buy my gym and he said, cool, I'll take it off your hands next week. I was pretty blown away by that. And he just said, because the staff is solid, the systems are solid, the process is solid, and it doesn't require me. Okay. And this doesn't happen if the business isn't systemized or processed. Another example here is if you think about like uh, franchises, these are all systemized really well. Franchise market right now at the time of recording, this is not hot um, because I just, they just don't make much money. But the allure is you can buy into a franchise for 50, 100K, whatever it is, and it's like a business in a box. So if you think about the big picture in the next couple of years, I'm going to turn my business into uh, like a, a franchise style. You don't have to franchise it, but it is run so well that it can be run by someone just following the instructions. Uh, that is the goal that you want to get to, and that's how you can sell or sell your business for multiples of the revenue or profit that you make every year. Mm. And one of the things that I found really remarkable was your client retention strategies in your yeah. systemization. Uh, yeah. That's that's my jam. I love that's one thing that I really teach a lot in in the in my webinars and things that I run is client retention. But yeah, for sure, it's great. I think it was absolutely like incredible hearing the systems and processes that you had in place because and because of this, you have got the best retention rates out of any gym in Australia. I think you were yeah. saying your 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 churn rate on your members is like one percent. Is that correct? Yeah, less less than one percent. Less than one percent, which is astronomical to think. Yeah, it's For those crazy. listening, I want to really break this down. Think about a gym losing less than one percent of its members that sign up. It is every month. Yeah, huge. It is huge. Absolutely huge. Yeah, it's so, crazy. And, and it's because you are on top of your people. I think you were saying yeah. in Bali that if somebody doesn't show up for a couple of days for a workout, your people are on the phone going, where are you? What are you doing? What's happening? And that's yeah. part of the reason why your retention rates are so good. Also, because you're doing this, your attendance rate is so much better, yeah, which ridiculous. is then when you're getting really good results, that's that's in itself a, a growth pattern without you having to do anything because those people are going to, their family and friends are going to see them. They're getting results. They're going to talk about it. That's going to recommend the next person to them. So my question to you on this front is a lot of practitioners have a real issue with the client retention side of things because they feel like they're bothering people. And I yeah. don't know what you're going to say to this, but I want you to say it to my audience because you're going to say it so well. 
why are you not bothering people by contacting them and asking them why they haven't been into the gym? The simple answer here is because they've signed up for you for a reason and you need to deliver that reason, okay, or the result for it. So someone goes to a chiropractor because they got pain. It is your duty to follow up with them until they are not in pain anymore, okay? Same with the myotherapist, same with the gym. Unless someone has got to, the, you know, they come to the gym and they say, I want to lose 20 kilos. Unless they've got to 20 kilos uh, weight loss, I'm going to bother them until they have, okay, because that is what they've come to me for, okay? Um, in terms of, like, bothering people, I like to look at the other end of this and it's caring. Okay. Yeah. So and the other, I'm a, we don't do this in success school anymore. We used to because it like it created a lot of uh, drama for our demographic. But if you weren't showing up to calls in, um, you know, for three days or four days or a week or something, and I messaged you and I said, everything okay, anything I can help with, that's not bothering you. That's being like, I'm literally, and also it helps the business mm-hmm. in terms of engagement and, and you showing up, but I'm showing care in your results because I'm actually taking the time to message you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Versus I'm bothering Anil. She's busy. She doesn't want to hear from me. She can't be fucked showing up to program. My program sucks. Maybe they thought I wasn't a good practitioner. Insert other head game that goes on with (laughs) practitioners or allied health professionals. Or maybe they think I'm a witch doctor or whatever it is. Like maybe all this stuff that goes on. So like my answer to this is it is your duty to help people. So help them to the best of their ability. And if that means getting them in or messaging them straight off the appointment or messaging them three days after or messaging them if you haven't seen them in a week or two, then do that, okay, because that is your duty and that is your job. Nailed it. And that's exactly what people need to hear as well. They're letting their own insecurities get in the way of their client's care because they're worrying about what the client's going to think about them instead of worrying about what the client actually needs. So absolutely nailed So my car, I have a car and he doesn't do this, okay. He messages me like once every three months and I'm like, bro, get on me and rebook me in the sesh. Okay. So I see my therapist and I see a car and they both don't do it. And I tell them every time I'm in there, I'm like, you going to fucking rebook me or what's going on here? Like, <laughs> I don't want to have to reach out to you to book. I want you to book me in. Okay. That's the relationship I want with my car and my therapist. Mm, absolutely. And that's, that's what people are coming to expect these days as well. I think, you know, 10, 15 years ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, there was that, you know, people, if they want you, they'll come back and they'll see you. But no, that's not what people want now. They want you to tell them yeah. what they need. They don't want to think about it. That I want to yeah. have to think about when should I come back or do I need this? You just they just want you to tell them exactly what they need and they just want to do that thing because it makes their life easier. And people so, get busy. Yeah, sorry, go. Just to, just to solidify this point home, yesterday was my first day off all year. Okay. Uh, Steph and I have been working super hard lately. And it was the first day I've even began to think about what I actually need, like the little things in my life. So I need to see the Cairo, I need to see the Mayo, I need to book them in, I need to get new running shoes, I need to find a pickleball place, I need to get a new gun, like all these types of things. I didn't even think about that until yesterday, okay? And we're talking like we're in February, and that was the first time I gave myself half a day to sort get my shit together for my life. I'm not the only person like this, okay? Your patients are the exact same, and they need to be reminded of these things or have these things booked ahead of time because people aren't just sitting around being like, wonder what my Cairo is up to. Yeah. Wonder what my Maya is up to. Maybe I should book in with them. Okay. They've got busy shit going on. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Tim, it's been a pleasure having you here. The final question I have for you is something I ask all my podcast guests, and you've given us lots of gems here already. But if you could offer just one piece of advice to a natural healthcare practitioner aiming to build a business that they love, what would it be? Oh, yeah, that's a deep one. Uh, I would say love what you do and be passionate about it, which I know you guys are. The second one is. I know it's it's a little bit frowned upon in your industries to self-promote or talk about what you do, but I haven't seen this done super well in the allied health fields is turning their profession into a bit of a personal brand, okay? Mm-hmm. So like live the brand, be the brand on social media, be the healthy person, eat well, go for regular adjustments, have a nice lifestyle, um, talk about patients you're seeing, talk about their problems, talk about how you help them. Before, not before and afters, but like some transformations. It could be like just promoting yourself on social media. That's not just like buy my shit. It's more like you as the practitioner, you are the brand. And when you live the brand, you will do very well, okay? Mm-hmm. Because people can see it's not incongruent. And you guys may be doing this. And I know you will be doing this, but you need to show people you're doing this, okay? We are, we've gone past the time of people just finding out who's good because there are a lot of good people. You need to show people you're good. You need to show people your values. You need to show people what you're about. So my number one piece of advice is, you know, live your values, you know, do what you want to do and love what you do, but tell people you do. 
Mm, I love that. Absolutely. That's great advice. Tim, tell has us anyone the- ever said that? I was, I was wondering, as like, has anyone said that on the show? Uh, not in that for not in that exact yeah, wording. And I really love they're that. They're not marketers. Yeah. They're not marketers. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, tell us a little bit about Successful. How can people find out more about Successful? How can they find out about you and Steph? Where can they find you online? I don't want to cut your toes here, Anil. So, like, sign up with Anil. She's better <laughs> at this allied health stuff. Okay, she knows all the shit I know. So, if you guys are in that uh, vein of thought and like, go to Anil. Don't come to Successful because she has specifics on what you do. But um, if you guys want to follow me at Real Tim Frey on Instagram, that's uh, Real and then T I M F F R E Y. I'm not that egotistical that I think I'm the Real Tim Frey. It's just the only way I could actually get my name across. <laughs> YouTube, TikTok, like all the things and have the same name because there's a lot of Tim Frays in the world, okay? Um, other than that, guys, uh, you can check out our Successful podcast where we drop heaps of business advice on there. So uh, that's Successful with uh, Steph and Tim Frey. I actually, our podcast editor put my wife's name first, which I'm like, what the fuck? Like, where'd that come from? This was my podcast. She hijacked <laughs> it. She came on my podcast. Um, so if you guys want business uh, knowledge and like advice, et cetera, check out our podcast, subscribe, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of fun. My wife and I do a co-podcast. Yeah, and I'll pop them all into the show notes, including Steph's original podcast, her own one, the one that yeah. I found, uh, which she's yeah. no longer doing her own podcast, but she's got hundreds and hundreds of excellent episodes that are still very yeah. relevant today. So I'll pop them all into the show notes. Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time and sharing your knowledge with my audience. No worries. Thanks for having me, guys. Best of luck on the business journey. Hang your head in there. It gets way better. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, that was great. Thank you for tuning in today and I look forward to having you join me in the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest releases and for more helpful tips, look for me on Instagram under the handle Supercharge My Practice. This podcast is proudly sponsored by My Appointments.